it's 2021, Liz. We made it to 2021. So fabulous that 2020 is over. Is it? Is oh, it over? Yeah, no, it is. It is. That's right. That's right. Are you reverberating still from 2020 that you're not sure it whether it's It does feel like that a little bit. <laughs> it does feel that a little, little bit. I think I was expecting some kind of miracle. Some kind of, you know, New Year's Eve comes and I oh, know. it's a new world. But it's, we're getting there. We're slowly we? but surely getting there. And, um, and it's great to be back in the same room recording, not in the cupboards. And uh, I'm conscious that 2021 started and you released an episode with um, our guest host, Beck Garvey, which was fabulous. And, um, and so this is kind of my first episode back for the year. Welcome back. <laughs> I'm so, so like pleased to actually be able to kick 2021 off. And, um, and Liz, oh my God, we topped 50 episodes on this podcast. We did. This is our 52nd. 50, 52 episodes, like for something that we just started with chatting to each other has become this amazing podcast series. So that's fantastic. It is. So this is a really exciting episode today, Liz, because uh, what we've uh, noticed, what I noticed going back over our back catalogue is we actually don't have so many episodes that are dedicated just to mental health, particularly community mental health. And that was really surprising to me because we actually do talk about mental health quite a lot on this podcast, right? It often seeps into episodes here and there. To actually dedicate an episode to community mental health is not something we've really done. And nice that it comes after the previous episode, which was an inpatient mental health. So now we're looking at community. You're right. Yeah. And we haven't done it enough. Yeah, so that's great. It's a great way to start off the year, hey? So this is a really um, an interesting, neat little story where we do have a very clear beginning, middle and an end. So listeners, just keep an eye, an ear out for that. Um, and uh, it's raised a couple of questions for us, hasn't it, Liz? Uh, look, I'm sure um, you and I could, could talk about this for quite some time, but it's also a semi-hammock episode because the social worker does some of our work for us in That's relation right. to linking the theory behind the, his practice. Um, so that's, that'll, that'll be really lovely to, to visit that too. Yeah. So kick back, relax everyone in your hammock, and um, we'll see you after the episode. Grand. I work in a small community-based mental health service in a regional town, and our service deals with uh, children and young people and their families who have moderate to severe mental health disorders. And uh, I just wanted to talk a bit today about a, a particular case that uh, presented a lot of interesting perspectives that uh, might be of interest to uh, the social work world. Um, this referral came from a, um, a church-based non-government organisation who had been uh, working with a 14-year-old girl and her family. And this girl's name, I'm calling her Amy. The initial referral comes through a telephone system, a triage, a mental health triage is taken. And essentially, the information that we got from the NGO was uh, of this 15-year-old girl who had increasing emotional ability, uh, lots of suspensions from school, 
emotional outbursts and threats of self-harm. Indeed, uh, some weeks before the referral, uh, she had presented to the emergency department of the local hospital with uh, thoughts of self-harm and suicidal ideation. Um, uh, this was seen as, uh, as an issue that was really escalating and um, the, the family were having difficulty with it. Obviously, the young girl was, but also the, uh, the, the NGO felt that it was getting a bit beyond their scope. And that's, that's not an unusual type of referral for us to receive. So um, the regular process is that uh, within our small team, we, we discuss the information we have and we allocate it to, to myself in this case. And I rang uh, one of the numbers that was attached and, and got onto the grandmother. And it uh, came to play that uh, the grandmother was a really key part of Amy's life. And uh, over a period of two years that I was working with this family, uh, grandmother proved to, um, to be the, the, the bedrock that held the family together. So perhaps not an unusual story. So um, in the first meeting, which is really the first in the process of, of assessing the situation and the difficulties and the risks. Um, Amy and grandmother came and so did the, uh, the worker from the NGO. So that was a good gentle introduction to, to us, a, a new scary place, uh, new people having to tell her story um, and really not being 100% sure. She knew that she had behaviours that she didn't like and her mum didn't like and her grandma didn't like and it was getting into her into lots of trouble, uh, particularly that time when uh, she went to the emergency department because not just ambulance but also police came. On that first meeting, Amy didn't say very much but she, she said she wouldn't do it again because she didn't want the police to come. Of course, it kept happening quite a number of times when uh, her inability to regulate her emotions and her behaviour uh, did become unsafe for her or others. Um, so in that first meeting, Amy herself was, was very attentive but didn't have much to say. There wasn't much eye contact. And I, I always try to reassure the young person and their family that uh, it's really quite normal to feel nervous, anxious and a bit scared because it is a, a strange place and strange new people and um, you know they may not be too clear on what it's all about but we could work that out over a bit of time and um, as it was uh, Amy and primarily Grandma would uh, continue to come to appointments initially every fortnight um, we discovered or we learnt that uh, Amy had a mild intellectual disability and was in a support class at school and with their permission I was able to uh, contact the, the head teacher of learning support at the local high school that she attended and the school proved to be very helpful and um, good, a good source of information too because school is such a huge part of uh, young people's lives. Um, as we learnt more through assessment, we discovered that uh, 
there was at least three generations here of disadvantage, poverty, uh, unemployment. Uh, Grandma had a mental illness. She was quite open about telling us about her mental illness and her treatment, and we knew some of the her treating team, um, which was kind of reassuring for everybody. Um, and with time, Amy was able to um, trust me more as the, as the key worker. But appointments really were crisis-driven too. So often um, Amy and Grandma would turn up just to tell the story of what the last big fight was or how, how many holes she put in the wall or how long she's been suspended from school. Um, Amy was very remorseful after each one of these incidents. Um, Grandma was really struggling at times. I didn't have very much to do with Mum over the period of time. I had a few phone calls and maybe saw her on only two occasions. Um, Mum had her own issues. Uh, other children in the home, um, at least one of them had a diagnosis of, of autism and, and had special needs there. And I think uh, Amy was just too hard to handle at home. And Amy knew this, so that was a hard label for her to shoulder. Um, at different times she would go home though, spend time with mum and um, look after the, the little ones. Of course, the question for me is, uh, where was Dad in this? Um, what's Are there issues there? And it, uh, it turns out that Dad actually had uh, suicided when Amy was quite young. And over a bit more time, as more trust, I guess, uh, was developed, Grandma told me that uh, Dad had suicided after the police had charged him with sexual assault against Amy. So this, this really sort of set up some alarm bells. We had a you know, significant trauma here. Um, and in a way it explained some of the uh, behaviours and the, the difficult uh, emotional regulation and the poor distress tolerance. So while that informed me, it really wasn't something that uh, was helpful for Amy to know about, but uh, Grandma did share that with her and uh, that kind of made some sense to Amy, although it was extremely upsetting. So uh, from a psychiatric point of view, issues of attachment were, were clearly there and um, I guess it informed me in a way that uh, I had to be really, really careful in this therapeutic relationship. Um, you know, I'm an older man. Um, I didn't want to be a father figure. I didn't want to be a uh, anything other than a clinical social worker, having uh, fortnightly initially or then monthly visits with them. Um, the therapeutic content was largely informed by CBT, but with the emphasis on the B, the cognitive behavioural therapy behavioural stuff. Uh, she wasn't very cognitively tuned in, especially in those, those first few months and, and year or so. So we looked at uh, 
other things that she can do when she noticed feelings getting really wild and crazy inside of her. Uh, and sometimes grandma was a really important part of that, but then also sometimes grandma was a target of her wild and crazy behaviour. But grandma proved again and again to be the, uh, the one person who could uh, put limits on escalating behaviour and really stick to those limits. And, and while that in the initial stages was very difficult for Amy, uh, it proved vitally important. The ongoing process, as I say, was um, initially crisis-driven and we would uh, do it almost like a formal debrief after the crisis. What happened? How are you feeling? What do you think other people involved were feeling? And that was using Amy's strengths, social strengths that she had, to um, put herself in the other person's shoes. So we might call that empathy and developing an empathic perspective. But I learned that she was really, really tuned into the family. This is a really big family with lots of complex um, interrelationships. But she could tell me who was who and who was related to who and where they lived. So that told me that she was really tuned into to family and had a good sense of social connectivity, even though there was this disruption and disconnection at times as well. And that proved to be important as time went on. Um, and one day, Amy turned up to her scheduled session with a... She had a young man with her, a, a boyfriend, a new boyfriend, and uh, she wanted him to come in to the session and uh, introduce him. He was a nice young man, but he, he seemed to come with uh, a range of struggles and difficulties himself. Uh, some months after that, quite unexpectedly, uh, she brought him on along again and uh, very sadly his mother had suicided. Uh, he wasn't really clear on who his dad was, so this was a really, really difficult time. And it was a real shift for, for Amy here to take on a, a, an important caring role. And her and her grandmother together uh, were really helpful for this young man at a very difficult um, time of life. And um, also grandmother was having her own uh, physical health issues. And so we saw a real shift in Amy as she took on more of a, a caring role um, so her care towards others was really, really noticeable. And so from a strength-based perspective, we could really highlight that with her. Another few sessions along the track, and you know, I've been working with her for a good 18 months or more now. She came along and told me about a conversation that she'd had with her mum. And the crux of the conversation was her mum saying, Amy, do you really need to keep going there and seeing that man? And... Amy said, to her, well, Mum, I was wondering that myself, and maybe I don't. So Amy came along to me and told me about this conversation, and uh, I thought it was really lovely that on, on her terms, she was able to, to see a natural ending to what had been a fairly long and intense uh, involvement with professionals. 
so that was a, a really nice uh, way to end there and we agreed on having one more session and uh, and wrapping things up in quite a formal way so that really satisfied some of my fears about over dependency and over involvement uh, especially over these longer term cases and and that's worked well uh, she was discharged from the service with an invitation to re-refer at some time in the future uh, but that that hasn't happened and so I like to think that things are going quite well for Amy. Um, it was a great relief. There were times during that ongoing therapeutic relationship where I had really genuine fears and worries for her safety. Um, the emergency department at the local hospital uh, is a safe haven and we really highlighted that and she used it well. Nevertheless, I would arrive to work on Monday morning sometimes and, and open up the electronic medical record just to check that uh, she hadn't had an emergency admission and that everything was fine. And um, Everything was fine. Uh, the self-harm ceased over time, uh, particularly as I say, she uh, was able to focus on others and, and recognise her strengths as a carer. So that... Uh, was very satisfying in this case. While I'm talking here about an individual and their family and a small clinic in a, in a regional area, I also reflect on the, on the bigger picture of social work and the social determinants of health. And, and I see here that uh, there are so many points of disadvantage in this rural and, and regional area that afflicted uh, this young person and their family and so it does keep me interested in international focus of social work and some of the uh, work that you, the United Nations is doing and try and um, in my own mind match the, the micro and the macro in this world. Um, but in this case with Amy I guess I uh, I see it as, as being very privileged to have been allowed into her life and, and uh, to see the struggle, witness that struggle. And I think in the end that was a benefit to her and her family as well. comes to mind and I want to throw it at you and see what you think yep it takes a village oh I know that statement so well Liz so that was one of the themes that I picked up in this person's practice right and this is what I think social work really excel at we don't just see ourselves as the expert here this social worker has actually he talks about this as the team around this young Amy yes that involves family, grandma, occasionally mum, yeah, and various services, especially the school. I loved how he engaged the school in working with this child, um, which is such, it's so much more holistic work, don't you think? Yeah, it's, really it struck me that he was pulling on all the resources that he could to support this young girl, right? That actually... It wasn't going to just be, he couldn't compartmentalise what she was going to need. And it was interesting that 
she comes in to see him with this referral, which is um, a diagnosis, but also some behaviours. And then over the course of 18 months, of course, it's much more textured and layered than that. And don't you think that often happens with mental health, Liz, that people come in to see a social worker because they have ticked a couple of boxes, Yes. right? Whether it's a formal diagnosis, whether it's behaviours that aren't socially acceptable, whatever it is, um, that's the core of the referral. But as social workers, we know that's only the beginning. It's, it, as you say, it's just a couple of sentences, perhaps on an email, yeah. or a diagnosis that's been applied to a person. And we know that there, as you say, lovely expression, so many more layers. Yeah. That, as you, you, know, you mentioned, were revealed over the course of the two-year relationship with this social worker and Amy. Yeah. And Mim, let's go to that very first session. Did you not love the way he sensitively thought through how it might be for Amy to come into a service like the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service? She's coming into this service. And how he, as an older man, needed to be very sensitive to it being um, the, the relationship dynamic, even though at the time he wouldn't have known about the, 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 the abuse that she'd experienced yes. by the grandfather. But he was very sensitive about the, the, the gender issue, um, the fact that she's coming into a mental health service. Um, the the age difference between them. The age difference. She'd had some involvement with health in the past yeah. that would have been crisis-driven and possibly not the most positive of experiences if you're landing in emergency with police escorting. Never good. Yes. Um, so he was incredibly reflective of that. And the other thing I just wanted to insert in at the beginning is I would suggest that he would have been thinking about how to support her and how to end this relationship as well. Yeah. That it would have a time limit. But I wanted to come back to he's that for, point. He's but... probably foreshadowing that from the beginning, isn't yes. he? It's, I love that that's actually an example of him embedding reflective practice from the beginning. So instead of just coming in, taking the gateway diagnosis of mental health and just running with it he's actually stopping and reflecting on the interaction between him and this young girl and how their therapeutic um, relationship is now going to have to be formed yes. you know um, and you kind of saw that echoed throughout the process of their dynamics so one of the really key moments I loved Liz was when he wanted her to build empathy and so he introduced her quite clearly to Sean's reflection on action model and he talked her through how to um, reconstruct the crisis event that had occurred, then deconstruct it, then look at it from the perspective of her emotional response and then look at the emotional response of others at the moment. And he actually took her through that cycle without labelling it as such, a, a cycle that we know as practitioners that assists us in our reflective practice, but he applied it to her in a therapeutic sense. And a life skill sense, right? Absolutely. So that's about her being able to increase her emotional IQ yeah. and also her relatability with people. Yeah. And for someone like Amy, I would suggest that would probably be very, very important given that she had a grandmother that she could rely on. Yeah. And that was about it, really, in terms of a family circle. He didn't talk much about the friends. I mean, there was a boyfriend. We'll come back to yeah. that in a, in a minute. But really good life skills. Yeah. If yeah. she can start to reflect on the impact that that has on two others, wow, that's so important. 
It really is. But I think it's a marker of a very experienced social worker too. I think we're dealing with someone here who's mm. got many, many years of experience who would be reflecting before I even met Amy. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, reflecting on the much bigger picture, right, Nim? Like it wasn't just a mental health diagnosis for him and the way he viewed Amy in her world. Yeah, absolutely. Did you want to say anything? You know, we mentioned earlier before we started recording about his his commentary on the micro and the macro. And yeah, look, I, I loved how he situated his practice in the social determinants of health and how at the end of the um, story he came back in his own reflection on the fact that there, because it wasn't just her diagnosis that was at play, her diagnosis and the impact her mental health had on her every day was impacted by her social environment and experiences to date. So the fact that there was poverty in the family, the fact that there had been a history of sexual abuse, the fact that there were suicides in this family, like mental health was a feature of the family, right? So many features of her world then impacted on his intervention. I really loved that connection that he was able to make between those two things. The other thing he did well, Nim, was to link the, the theories behind his practice. Yeah. So if you recall, he talks about attachment theory. He talks about focusing on the behavioural in the CBT. And again, that shows a sophistication of someone who has worked with young people like Amy. Yeah. Um, let's work at the behavioural level with someone like her. Um, and very strength-based, right? incredibly strength-based um, and I liked how he was able to, to um, really value Amy's caring role that she took on in the latter part of their work together the responsibility that she started to take on in care for her grandmother and her boyfriend yeah the new that partner. actually helped to mature her in a way that got her out of her own skin too that gave her value in those relationships and and I would imagine there was a lot of discussion um, where that social worker was really highlighting what she has, what she brings to um, those two relationships. Yeah. Because they would have been very vulnerable people, right? Oh, absolutely. And it just struck me just in what he was saying and the way he was saying it that the amount of respect that he had for Amy and the process that she had gone through that he'd, been, he'd borne witness to and been integral around, right? And to have an older man that did that to her, yes. like that actually worked with her in a safe way, but that respected her as opposed to her experience of abuse from yes. her uh, grandfather. Um, you know, like, they, they, I would imagine someone like this would have really thought that through, that it could have value for her yes. to have a relationship with a safe older man. Um, and really, you know, I guess use this, the transference and the counter-transference um, within the relationship in a way that was very therapeutic and healing for Amy. Mm. Can we talk about love? Yeah. <laughs> like, I really had to chuckle when the social worker talked about Amy falling in love. Yeah. And because I loved it when my clients fell in love because... <laughs> It was like, it was a bit, very much a protective factor and very much, uh, um, I mean, I guess all the endorphins that go racing through the system. It was lovely to be in the presence of someone who felt loved, especially, and I would imagine Amy might be in this group, 
especially someone who hadn't perhaps had a relationship before. Um, so that would have been really lovely to have been in. I mean, I'm sure, you know, this social worker probably would have been asking a few surreptitious questions to get kind of get a sense of, is this boyfriend going to be good for <laughs> A little bit of client? vetting going on there, Liz. I know. Like, I used <laughs> to feel like that with some of my um, women who had um, exited violent relationships yeah. and when they um, repartnered, I used to think, you know what, I'd like, wouldn't mind having, you know, a bit of time with that partner just to kind of ascertain whether, you know, they're good enough for <laughs> That's right. What are their intentions? What's what's the plan they, going forward? That's right. They're going to be respecting this woman after all this work and that's that right. she's been doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe that's one of the fantasies that we tell ourselves as social workers that um, in lieu of not knowing yeah. that it's it's been a lovely feature in the client's uh, life. And I guess that theme is something that I heard him talk about in relation to the terminating of the of the counselling. Mm. Amy was the one who ended it. And that's another thing that us counsellors love too. Yeah. When it's self-directed and at a time when the person had developed lots of skills and and um, ways of supporting themselves, but also had a circle of friends and family and yeah. services around them. I would imagine that social worker felt incredibly happy about where they had come to as a, as a therapeutic relationship. But let's not kid ourselves. I mean, let's go for the Disney moment. Yeah, we had the so, Disney moment at the end of this story, didn't we? You could hear the band start playing. You could hear the, the large, you know, song number about to begin. But we know in reality that this was probably the only case that year where this happened or that well yes most definitely but I, I also think um, as as long-term counsellors you always leave the door open yes, for your clients yes. so so I would also imagine that he would have let Amy know and I think he even articulated this the doors open yeah because we know that even though life's traveling much improved now as he talked about the KPIs, the, 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 the factors in this woman's life are against her. Yeah. She is in poverty. Yeah. She has very complex trauma in her life. Um, I would imagine that it would be legitimate for Amy to dip in and out of, of um, therapy and support for however long she needs to. And he'd know that he could, and I would imagine that he still would every so often glance at the referral sheets on Monday just to see whether there had been an emergency. Yeah, he said he was in the habit of that, and you could imagine that taking a long time to stop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I really enjoyed this story, Liz. Like, I I felt like um, although it did finish you in a neat bow, there is that inherent satisfaction that you can feel when you know that you have been integral in that in that moment in that person's life to get them to the next stage, right? And I think that's something that as social workers we really hold on to, you know, those moments where you can feel the benefit of the work that you've done with someone. Oh, beautifully said, as usual. Mm. But I bet you the grandmother was holding on to it too, oh, knowing that Amy had a relationship with someone because I would imagine, you know, grandma's not going to be around forever, obviously, but that Amy had been developing skills and that she hopefully was going to break the family 
oh no, curse is no too too strong a word. But I mean, there was a long history of complex trauma throughout that throughout yeah. the family, yeah. and to to observe that here is Amy at the the ripe old age of thirteen, learning a new way of being in the world, yeah. learning a new way of relating to both herself and to others. I mean, that's got to be um, something that the grandmother would have felt very happy about knowing that there are life skills here that are going to perhaps set Amy up in a way that um, has, a, has a far more positive outlook than prior to her coming into that And knowing that the cycle of trauma has the chance to not be continued, mm. right? I think that, that must, there must be a sense of satisfaction for a grandparent in that moment. Mm. Yeah. Before we finish up today, this episode today, Liz, um, I wanted to welcome our producer, Justin Stesh, into our conversation for a minute. Hi, Justin. Hey there. Great to have you join us on the mic. Uh, and the reason, listeners, that we're all wanting to speak to you just quickly is just to let you know that we've um, been sort of reflecting on the year last year, 2020, and uh, how important it was for us to have a virtual community that during that time, and how there are so many good projects for us to be working on going into 2021. Because yeah. it's going to be an exciting year, right? Absolutely, it is. There's so much on the table and there's going to be really great things coming out. Um, I think all of us have some excellent projects going on. It's been uh, a lot of planning and thinking looking forward. Yeah, so because of that, we've made a couple of decisions, listeners, that we wanted to fill you in on. And the first one was that we've decided this year that we're going to move back from the fortnightly episode delivery and we're probably going to move to about once a month, putting out a really exciting story from a social worker and, um, and then also maybe do some other sorts of episodes as the year goes on as well. How's that sound, Liz? It sounds great. And sustainable. Yes, Absolutely. sustainable. And it and gives us time to work on our projects, like Justin's interpretive dance yes. um, well, yeah, podcast just, that he's going to. I have to get that routine down, really, really down pat. So yeah. it's all good. And, and if you introduce a karaoke into that, awesome. Of Fantastic. course. Naturally. Yeah. And Mim, you've got some wonderful research projects as well that, that we can also incorporate into the podcast. Yeah, so there's going to be some really interesting different episodes coming out this year on, the, on our stream. So listeners, definitely keep in touch with us and make sure you listen out for all those. Um, and we're still here. Uh, we're yeah. just um, trying to diversify what we contribute to our beautiful virtual community as we all sit around our campfire continuing into 2021. Absolutely. And you know, we can always still be found on... Twitter, on Instagram at SOWK Stories Pod, our website, socialworkstories.com. You can get in touch with us anywhere, and we would love to hear from you, hear what you're thinking about the things that we are producing this year and the different ideas and projects that we're working on that you see come through the feed. So, And of course, anything that you guys would like us to be doing, definitely. let us know as well. All right, thanks so much, everyone. Have a good couple of weeks. See you soon. See you Bye. soon.